0: We're just so glad to have you with us today because this is a great meeting. The topic is the boat that would not burn and bolts and nuts forming jewellery. This is a story from the Solomon Islands. It is an amazing story that shows the tremendous power of God. But right now we have a special guest, a person whom I appreciate and respect a tremendous amount. Pastor Willie G. is going to come and sing for us. Would you folks please welcome today Pastor Willie Garcia. Thank you, my brother. Thank you.
1: Through the valley of the shadow To the mountains of his faith The shepherd boy of Judah loved to sing In his words of adoration And his simple songs of praise He glorified Jehovah as his king A giant slayer A song sayer, For the God of Jacob set apart A joy bringer a psalm singer, yeah, yeah, a man after God's own heart. The boy became a ruler, anointed for the throne, and though he sinned, he never turned. Away. The Lord forgave his servant, he smiled upon his own. For the God of David is a God of grace. To the giant slayer. The psalm singer for the God of Jacob set apart, oh Lord. a joy bringer, a psalm singer. Yeah, yeah, God called him a man after his own heart. And from his seed would come our Savior, a light unto the nations he would be. And from his land would come our ruler, the King of our salvation. Jesus Christ is he. Make me a giant slayer, a psalm sayer for the God of Jacob set apart to it, Jesus, a joy bringer, a psalm singer, Lord, make me a man after your own heart. Lord, make me a man after your own own heart. A man after your own own heart.
0: going to tell you the story today of a boat that would not burn. They couldn't get it to burn. It happened at the beginning of the Second World War, and the place was in the Solomon Islands. There were a bunch of Australian missionaries there, and also allied personnel. And as the Japanese came down like a wolf on the fold... Because the the odds of their supremacy were quite overwhelming, the Allies retreated back to Australia. But the last Allied officer said to Pastor Katarangaso, we can't use it. We've got to destroy everything we've got. That includes the mission vessels. At that time, in the South Pacific, our church had 20 mission ships. And so the natives didn't want to do this. But as the the allies sailed away, the last order they gave to Pastor Cotarengus was, you've got to destroy the boats. Uh, What a face, folks. What a face. What a face. They called him out there, and they still do, a prince among men. This man came from the stock of headhunters. His father was a headhunter and a cannibal. And when they go out in the jungle today, they still find the altars where they used to carry out human sacrifices on those altars. Don't tell me every religion is as good as the other. Their religion was a religion of the devil. They worshipped the devil and they worshipped their ancestors. And so we had a mission vessel there whose name was the portal. And firstly, they covered the portal with, with coconut fiber, which burns like crazy. And then they doused the coconut fiber with methylated spirits. You know what that is, don't you? Methylated spirits. When it burns, it burns with an intense heat. It's a blue flame. And they stood back and they threw a torch a flaming torch onto the portal, and the ship, the boat, went up in a roar. And the Allies had just gone round the bend. They'd just gone round the coastline. They were out of sight. And then, all of a sudden, after the ship had caught on fire and was blazing, the fire completely went out. Catarango said, This is the providence of God. So they got the ship or the boat, the mission vessel, the portal from Australia, and they, they towed it up into one of the little rivers there and they, they covered it up with everything they could find, vegetation, so, nobody, so the Japanese would not find it. And then they had this big diesel engine. You know what they did? They took it apart. <laughs> they took it apart. And they gave the parts to the women and the women put the nuts and the bolts around their necks so that when the Japanese saw them they would not think they were carrying around their necks a diesel engine. (laughs) It's an amazing story, They, they still call the boat out there the boat that would not burn. When the Japanese were defeated and driven out of the Solomon Islands and the battle there was, was horrendous, we went out and we saw some of the down Japanese and american planes. We ran the campaign next to a place that was called Iron Bottom Bay. You know why? Because there's so much iron at the bottom of the bay. The Americans lost a vast number of warships The Australians lost their biggest warship, the uh, HMAS Canberra. She went down to the bottom. The Japanese eventually lost their ships too. The Japanese in the battle for Guadalcanal lost 35,000 soldiers. 35,000 soldiers. The Americans lost 5,000 soldiers and another 5,000 with tropical diseases like malaria. But after the Solomon Islands were liberated from the cruel hands of the oppressor, our missionaries went back at the end of 1945 and Carter Rangiso was waiting for them on the beach and he said, I have a surprise for you and he took them to one of the little rivers there and there was the portal. It kept the portal for five years. And then they sounded the drums And as they sounded the drums, the women from all over the island of Guadalcanal came and they came carrying the diesel engine. (laughs) Not every part was around their necks. Some big heavy parts. But they put it together and they worked on it. They turned on the ignition. The engine started up. It's an, an amazing story. And it tells you that God is greater than the hand of the enemy. This tells you the truth that God is real and He will take care of you. Now, let me tell you folks something, because I'm talking to a a sophisticated American audience. Let me tell you folks something. (laughs) We're not always as smart as some of the natives in the islands. These natives who came from a background of devil worship know the reality of the devil. Did you know the devil on occasions would actually materialize and talk to people? I can tell you a story, and nobody in America would probably believe this story. But the chiefs, like Katarangaso's father, he would go down to the, to the beach and they would, the natives, the the witch doctors, they would they would bang the water and they would call out in the names of their of their gods. And the crocodiles out in the lagoon would hear and they'd swim over. And the sharks would come. And down from the mountains would come the great snakes. And they would worship the devil. Now I know this is pretty hard for you to believe. But one of the witch doctors went down with one of our missionaries. And he beat the water, and they saw this 25-foot shark out there, way out there, half a mile out on the reef, and the shark started to swim back and forth and came towards them. And then the shark came up on the shore. The, the, I'm sorry, the crocodile, not a shark, but a crocodile, this vast, vast, hideous creature. He came up on the beach. The missionary saw this. And then the witch doctor raised his hand and cried out to his God. Crocodile exploded. Exploded. And out came 12 warriors with bows and arrows and spears. Evil spirits. And so when you go out there, people, you don't have to prove to them that there's a God. They know there's a God because they know there's a devil. Over here, because of our pseudo-intellectualism and pseudo-belief system, we find it hard to believe in God. And many people, of course, want to believe in God because God takes them to heaven, but they don't want to believe in the devil. But the natives out in the islands believe in the reality of God and they believe in the reality of the devil. And the story of the ship that would not burn tells us about the reality of God and a God who has promised to take care of his people. I want you to take your Bible, please, and come with me to Isaiah chapter 43 and verses 1 and 2. And remember, I told you last week when I announced that I was going to speak on spiritism, I told you this last week that as soon as I announced the topic there came a a tremendous gust of wind that almost blew me off the stage and then there came a tremendous storm I believed that this was an attack by the devil and a couple of nights later when I was going to preach on the mark of the beast as I was preaching I felt on this shoulder right here a hand firm pushing me And I turned around uh, and there was no one there. Well, at least no one I could see. And so today I want you to know that the Bible teaches there is a real God and there is a real devil. Please notice Isaiah 43, verse 1 and 2. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. The Bible tells me that God will take care of his people and we need to have faith personal faith in the living God I want you to notice these verses verses 10 to 13 of the same chapter you are my witnesses declares the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me no God was formed nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord. And apart from me, there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient times, I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act. Who can reverse it? So, look at me. The Bible teaches the reality of a God who has promised to take care of his people. And even though in America and other parts of the world we are going through tough times, tough times do not change the character and the power of God. And he still loves us and he's still with us. I want you to come to Matthew chapter 6 to the words of Jesus. Matthew chapter 6 to the word of our Lord. Matthew 6 and verse 25 to 34. Matthew 6, 25 to 34. Now Jesus says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink. And why do you worry about clothes and the next sale at Macy's? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The Bible tells us we should cease from the sin of worrying because of the reality of God who cares for his people. Would you come over here to Philippians, please? This is one of my favorite texts, one of the fat texts of the Bible. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. Now I know that some of you are going through tough times with your work but the Bible tells me God will take care of us. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. Paul says, have you got it? But my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Therefore, look at me And listen to me, I tell you this it doesn't matter what the enemy does, God can keep your boat afloat. I believe this the boat will not catch on fire if God needs the boat. So the Bible tells me, Jesus tells me, don't worry. We should talk faith. It is good being in the presence of some people because they lift you up because they talk faith. It is not good being in the presence of some people because they drag you down because they are full of negativity. They can tell you a thousand reasons why it cannot be done. But we do not need too many people like those in our lives because they're they're bad for our health. The Bible tells us we should believe and we should talk faith. One of the most oppressive places I've ever been to is the great city of Calcutta with its poverty, its hunger, and its filth. And in Calcutta there is a little church. I went and worshipped in that little church. And as I walked through the door of that little church, over the portal were the words, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. And that ought to be the theme of every church and every conference At every preacher, at every layperson, of every elder, at every person who calls himself a Christian. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God because he is real. Remember this. God can keep your boat afloat and God can put out the fire. But... It was another mission boat. I do not know how to say the name. I think it is a New Zealand name. Finari Toke, I think it is. Another boat, same size as the portal. When they set the fire to that boat, the boat burned to the water line. And somebody will say to me, then explain that with a loving God. I don't need to explain it. That is why I have faith. We don't need, we're not called to be smart. We are called to trust on oh, the reality of the evidence that God has given to us. But I can tell you this if God lets your boat burn, it's because He's got a better plan for you. Now look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. Romans eight some people, my friend, lose their faith when trouble comes. But we should be strong in the midst of adversity, like Carangaso. Romans eight twenty-eight. Paul says, And we know it's good to know, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called. According to his purpose, the Bible tells me this, that in spite of circumstances, God has a plan for every life. God is real. God is a person. God cares for people. And remember this, God can keep your boat afloat. And if he chooses that boat to burn, it's because he's got a better boat for you. Somebody says, I've lost my job. What shall I do? Well, God has a better job for you. You see? People say, I'm going to lose my home, my friend. You've got a better home in glory. Because of the reality of God. The courage of the Solomon Islanders during those dark days of the Second World War, when the Japanese were planning to use Guadalcanal as a launching pad to come down and attack Australia. But those Solomon Islanders showed a tremendous courage and they still do. There was a boy who was a new convert from heathenism. My friend, we here have no idea of the degradation and the evil of heathenism, where people would go where the chief, Katarangaso's father, was the chief of chiefs. And when he died, Katarangaso, who became an ordained minister of the gospel of our church, he became the chief of chiefs. But his father captured a young Solomon Islander boy for one purpose, and that was to offer him up as a human sacrifice and then to eat him. You say, not in our own day. No, this goes back before the Second World War. When the Australian missionaries went there in the early 1900s, they came upon a people who were cannibals and headhunters. That is why the British government said, don't go because we cannot guarantee your safety. But there was a young Solomon Islander boy, and this boy had been converted from heathenism. And he had become a born again Christian who relied upon the Word of God. When the Japanese overran Guadalcanal and the rest of the Solomon Islands, they rounded up many of the mission boys. And they said, Tell us where the white people are hiding. Because the Allies had representatives hiding up in the mountains, so they could plot the activities of the enemy. And when they asked some of the boys from some missions, "Where are the white people?" the boys replied, "Mino savvy. which means "I do not know." It's pidgin English. Mino savvy. But when they came to this seven-day boy, and remember this, this boy had been taught the Bible and he had been taught the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments tell us that it is a sin to lie. When a person is converted to Christ, he will not be a liar. Never forget it. The Bible says, outside the gates of the city are all liars. And this boy had been taught it was wrong to lie. And when the Japanese officer said, tell us where the white men are, he didn't say, me no savvy. He said, I will not tell you. Because I've been taught not to lie. They flogged him with a whip. They took the meat off his back. And then they pulled out all his fingernails, out all his toenails. And he said, I will not tell you. And so after beating him to a state of unconsciousness, they threw this Solomon Islander boy into prison, planning to shoot him. But by the grace of God, he was able to escape and lived to tell the tale. I ask the question, what gave to this boy out of heathenism such courage? Because most of us wouldn't have it today. And let me tell you folks something, and here it is to my friends in Los Angeles. We live not in a Christian culture, but in a pagan, heathen culture. Most of the television programs are pagan to the core. They're based on the worship of the creature. They even call people idols. And Christians say, but this is fine. Not if you plan to be saved. So we live in a pagan, heathen culture. And unless you walk with God, you will become paganized and turned into that which is even worse than a pagan, a heathen. But what gave this boy, fresh out of heathenism, such courage? I want you to turn to 1 John 2 and verses 12 to 17. 1 John chapter 2 and verses 12 and onwards, the words of St. John, 1 John two twelve. I write to you, dear children, over towards the book of Revelation, I'll give you a moment to find it. This is a Bible-reading, Bible-preaching church. I write to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you've known the father. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, Because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you've overcome the evil one. Look at the blackboard. The word of God lives in you, and you are strong, and you are strong because the word of God dwells in you. I've been a pastor for many years. Many people say to me, but I just can't do it. Change the can't and say, I won't do it. because That's the truth, which should change the can'ts into won'ts. Because I can do all things through Christ. And when the word of God is inside a man or a woman, that person becomes strong. Weak in himself, but strong in Christ. I want you to know this. The word of God lives in you and you are strong. I quote this book here by Minereth Meyer. Happiness is a choice. These Christian psychiatrists say most of our problems come about because we are too lazy to read the word. And when people say, I cannot be happy, he tells them, you must say, I will not be happy. Admit it is your reason. You're the reason why you're not happy. He says this, the renewing of the mind is a gradual process that begins at the time of acceptance of Christ, at the time of the new birth, and of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit This renewing of the mind is not a once-for-all phenomenon. It begins at the time of the new birth and continues throughout life. If the mind has had a substantial amount of bad programming during the early years, it may take many years to reprogram it in a more healthy direction. However, it can be reprogrammed. First of all, the mind can be reprogrammed by using the word of God. And then he gives many texts. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. Uh, he writes pages on this. And he says to his patients, if you want to be happy, and if you want to overcome your weaknesses, and if you want to overcome your depression, read and study every day in a systematic way the Bible, the Word of God. The Word of God, I'm here to tell you this, makes weak people strong. It imparts endurance, courage, fortitude, stability, love, and life. Today, and rightly so, there is much talk about the future of the United States of America. But before we even contemplate that question, we should go to an early question, which is more important What made America great? America, we must never, never forget. America was founded by the Puritans and the Pilgrim Fathers, by people who believed in the authority of the Word of God. The Pilgrim Fathers, a persecuted people, came to America to get away from the beast. They believed in the centrality of the Holy Word of God. What was it like going to church on Sunday that they believed was the Sabbath in the days of the pilgrim fathers? It's hard to believe it. They would go early in the morning and the sermon would last several hours. (laughs) The prayer alone would be an hour. Then they'd be given a break to go home and get something to eat and they'd be back to church to study the Word of God. We say, crazy people know the best. And that brought forth America, the Word of God and people who had the Word of God inside them. The Bible made those early Americans a strong, industrious, honest uncomplaining, patient, independent people. The soul of America that was forged in the fires of affliction was packed full of, listen to it, the soul of America, courage, independence, I will stand alone if need be, creativity, Self-reliance, I will trust in God and in my own hands. Honesty, a prodigious knowledge of scripture. And uh, as somebody said on Meet the Press last Sunday, and they were discussing the state of the United States of America, they said America was founded on the Protestant work ethic. That means, under God, I will be what God has called me to be. And America became a light on a hill, an example to the nations of the world, and a nation to be wondered at. I quote from this famous book, The Great Controversy, and I understand that Elder Ted Wilson The president of the general conference is going to print these by the hundreds of the thousands and the millions and give them out. And I say, God bless you, Elder Wilson, do it. Listen to what Alan White said about America. The Bible was held as the foundation of faith, the source of wisdom and the charter of liberty. Its principles were diligently taught in the home, in the school, and in the church. And its fruits were manifested in thrift, intelligence, purity, and temperance. One might be for years a dweller in the Puritan settlements, and not see a drunkard, or hear an oath, or meet a beggar. And today, you turn on television, and every second word is a word of blasphemy. Oh my God, you hear the name of Christ blasphemed, but you never hear the name of Muhammad mentioned because they're afraid. It was demonstrated that the principles of the Bible are the surest safeguard of national greatness. The feeble and isolated colonies grew to a confederation of powerful states. And the world marked with wonder the peace and prosperity of a church without a pope and a state without a king. That's the greatness of America. Give that up and you're finished. But continually increasing numbers were attracted to the shores of America, actuated by motives widely different from those of the first pilgrims. Though the primitive faith and purity exerted a widespread and molding power, yet its influence became less and less as the numbers increased of those who sought only worldly advantage. Listen to me. The greatness of America was founded not in her armies and not in her political institutions, but in the Bible and in God. A light on a hill, an example to the nations. The President of the United States, President Obama, recently commenting on great changes taking place in the USA. China and the rest of the world said, we have become a little soft. Immediately, some took offence and said, he is insulting us. We are strong. We are only as strong as the word of God is within us. Are you listening to me, my American friends? We are only as strong as the word of God is in us. Look at this. The word of God lives in you. The Bible says, the word of God lives in you, young men, and you are strong. But if the word of God does not live in you, then you are weak. And we have become a little soft. And I think he was being kind. Somebody put this on my desk some time ago. It's from one of the local newspapers here in Arcadia in this district. Picking what you like from religion. Let me read it to you. Compare this with the faith of our fathers. A study by Lifeway Research has found that many Americans are moving away from clearly defined denominations towards tailoring their beliefs to suit their own personal preferences. How nice. It's true in Australia, too. Also, and in Europe. Also, a new survey of 900 US Protestant pastors finds. 62 predict the importance of being identified with a denomination will diminish over the next 10 years. The findings are supported by our new book, Future Cast, written by religious statistics expert, George Barner. Tracking statistics from 1991 to 2011, he found that all major trends of religious belief were diminishing except two. More people have accepted Jesus and believe they'll go to heaven. And fewer people are attending church except for weddings and uh, funerals. Barna blames pastors for this saying, people end up bored, burned out and uh, empty. They look at church and wonder, Jesus died for this? And adds, people say, I believe in God, I believe the Bible is a good book, and then I believe whatever I want. Judaism is also facing a similar issue. Let me tell you, when people say, I will believe what suits me, and I will cherry pick the angel of death is at the door. And it's not just the pastors. Now I'm sure pastors have got to share the blame. But it's congregations and pastors who want an easy way home to heaven when Jesus said, narrow is the gate and few there be that find it. That's what Jesus said. I enjoy visiting my doctors. They're both Jewish doctors. And they're sort of my good friends. Dr. Jack Gindy, Dr. Andre Yusefia. We do very little medicine. We do a lot of discussing of theology. We discuss prophecy, Israel and Bible prophecy. What about Jesus, the Messiah? These guys are very kind to me. I probably put up their blood pressure more than they put up mine. But when I go to have a test with my Jewish doctors, whom I love and appreciate and respect, I wouldn't go to others. They take my blood pressure. (laughs) You know, pump it up. And I'm trying to think peaceful thoughts. And then they take a blood test to see how my cholesterol is, how my HDL is, and my LDL, so the bad is down and the good is up. And then they test all of my bones and prodded me, and, and they'd look at me and tell me how I'm doing. <laughs> I want to be your physician for a moment. And when I went to see one of my doctors, Dr. Yusefi, he was having a hard time. He, he, he's so caring for people. These are the most caring doctors I've met anywhere. And uh, I said to him when I went to see him, because he was having a hard time, I said, Now, uh, can I be your doctor for 10 minutes? He said, I wish you would. So I was his doctor for 10 minutes. I told him, Now, what are you eating? You know you shouldn't be eating that. You tell me not to eat that. And why are well, you eating that? How much exercise? Oh, I know. I'm not doing a lot. I said, You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Here you are. You're not exercising. I want you around. And away you're going, doctor. You're going to be dead. I'll be taking your funeral. So let me be your doctor, okay? Here's a spiritual checkup. Do you study your Bible on a regular basis, on a daily basis? Don't answer it loud, but answer yourself. Be honest. How many hours a day do you watch TV? Is Christ the center of your life, or is he like... Your appendix. Do you care for people? Do you love your neighbor as yourself or do you live for yourself? Do you have a personal experience with Christ? You know, do you have a personal experience with God? Do you often say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, or do you say, no, I don't say that? Because if a person doesn't say he's sorry, he's not a Christian. Do you keep the Lord's Day? Or do you go shopping on the Lord's Day, watching TV, politics, and sports? Are you ruled by your emotions? Now, folks, I want you to know this. It is not easy to be a Christian. people say, no, no, it is. No, no, it's not. Would you come over here to Matthew 10? And I want you to notice a a verse or two here. Matthew chapter 10. Look at verse 21. We're going to leave out a few passages. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents, have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. That doesn't sound easy to me. Uh, If you come down to verse 34, Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father. Then he goes on. Verse 37, anyone who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Verse 38, anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Folks, it's not easy. Now, there are four valuable truths that I learned again in the Solomons. Number one god is absolutely real i felt the presence of god i felt the mantle of power i felt also the force of evil spirits i believe in a real god and a real devil number two the word of god has power to change lives i know it is so no man can get a crowd out like we got out there politicians can't do that's why the politicians came to our meetings you know where the power is it's in here it's in the word of god the bible can change lives but it can't change your life if you don't read it number three god will take care of us he can keep our boat afloat the thursday night before we started we had a dress rehearsal turned on our big pa system the the great spotlights Turned on the four projectors. Everything was great. Sharon was about to sing. And then the power went out. We blew the power. Our guys had to run around at the last moment and they had to find fancy shopping in the Solomons for a big, heavy electric cable. Harold Harker said to me, I don't even know, he said, whether we are going to have a meeting. Because it didn't look as though we were going to get it, but we got it because God will take care of us. And number four, we are called to be disciples. And that includes enduring hardness as good soldiers. We are called to be disciples. That includes enduring hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. It is not always easy. It is usually hard. Katarangaso was saved from heathenism and devil worship and the brutal acts of an army officer who was later given a dishonorable discharge. I went out to his tomb, a man whose father had been a cannibal and a devil worshiper. And you say it doesn't work? It works. If we will do what God has told us to do and open up the word of God and come to church and shake ourselves from the paganism that is taking over our society. Mm -hmm. One day this man who put his hand on my head when I was five years of age and encouraged me to be a missionary, which I am, Because I have a mission. This man who's buried out on the campus of Betty Kama, out there in a shaded little glen, called, they call him a prince among men. That man is going to be with Jesus in the resurrection. Mm -hmm. Christ is going to come. And, and the saints of God of all the ages, even from a place as pagan as Los Angeles, there'll be saints saved even in Los Angeles. Amen. And in New York, you say even? Yes, even. Because it's a thousand times easier to win souls among the pagans in the islands than it is to preach the gospel in pagan Los Angeles. But God is going to have, I believe, a wonderful, wonderful company of souls saved from Los Angeles and Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane, and New York and Chicago and London and the islands of the seas. Remember about the boat that would not burn. The Carter Report is a self-supporting ministry with a global mission. We believe that the most important thing that we can do in this tremendous hour is to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We do not believe that this is business as usual. We believe that we are living in the closing hours in the history of this world. Bless your heart, friend. Look at the signs that are being fulfilled almost every day. The signs of the times are shouting at us and they're saying, Jesus is coming soon. I want you to be my partner in global mission. I want you to be my partner in helping to tell the world about the coming of Jesus. I want you to be my partner in the preaching of the distinctive truths of the three angels' messages. Please check us out at the new Carter Report website, Carter Report. Org. We have a special section whereby you can ask questions and I will give you the answers from the living word of the living God. That is the thecardereport.org. My friend, we want you to join us in the mission to preach the gospel in China, in India, in Australia, in Africa, in the United States of America, wherever people are lost and wherever people need to hear the good news that Jesus saves. Please check us out. The new Carter Report website, carterreport.org. I want to hear from you today.
1: That you alone are worthy And it's you who placed this longing in my soul My soul desire is to be used An empty vessel longing to be filled by you My sole desire is to serve You, Lord To do Your perfect will To work each day and build Your Kingdom This is my sole desire I beseech ye therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your body a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service my soul desire is to be used an empty vessel longing to be filled by you my soul desire Is to serve you Lord To do your perfect will To work each day And build your kingdom This is my soul Desire Jesus This is my soul Desire